0: Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren Legrasso. Today, you'll hear from an amazing guest. She's a legendary and incredibly creative podcaster. She has tons of great takeaways on pushing past cultural barriers to pursue creativity, setting boundaries, and how being authentic and vulnerable can serve your dreams. But before we jump in, I want to ask you a quick favor. If you love the show, I would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and review. And if you feel inspired by today's episode, Please post about it on social media and tag at Unleash Your Intercreative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Word of mouth is very important for podcasts, so if you like what you hear, please share. Now to the guest. Today you'll hear from Podcasting Hall of Famer. Yes, that is an actual thing, and the guest is in it. Her name is Himda. She and Keith Malley have been co-hosting their comedy podcast, Keith and the Girl, for over 15 years which makes them absolute pioneers in this industry. They were at it before anyone else. I wanted to have Himda on the show because the start of her creative path was a tough one. Maybe you're having some issues right now with getting the support you need for your creative journey. Maybe your parents want you to do something else, or maybe it feels like it's culturally unacceptable to pursue your dreams. Himda shows so much courage and will inspire you to choose your dreams, even when it may mean going against the grain. Wherever you are on your own creative path, I know you will feel uplifted and encouraged by her story. Now here she is, Himda. You are like the OG podcasting queen, was there on the ground floor, like basically helped develop what podcasting is. So thank you for everything you've done for this industry and for laying the groundwork for people like me to come in and have a show and have a dream.
1: Wow. Thank you. I, I try to allow that to wash all over me. That's really
0: nice. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I listened to an awesome interview you did. I think it's on a show called the AV club. It was mm. back in like 2013, but it was so great. And you talked a lot about your background and about growing up and your childhood and like being middle Eastern and your parents and what that was like. And I definitely related because I'm 100% Italian and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of similarities in the cultures and being protective and like kind of locking down the girls. And I mean, my mom's main messaging to me when I was little was, be careful. Yes, that's
1: such a good one. Yeah,
0: I mean, I'd walk downstairs looking nice and she'd go, you look pretty. Be careful. And it was like, Uh uh-huh. What? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Should I be scared of that? (laughs) Um, It
1: sort of reminds me of Hamza where like the Arab people, we had it. You say something nice, even if it's about a kid, like, oh, your your newborn baby is so cute. Hamsa, hamsa, hamsa. Like, I didn't mean to say something so unreasonably nice. Now I, I jinxed everything and the universe will come after it because we weren't humbled enough to understand it's just a baby. We could not, absolutely
0: not enjoy things to its fullest.
1: We must feel guilty at the same time.
0: Yeah. That's exactly right. Like my best friend is Lebanese and she always goes, whenever she's happy, she goes, well, I'm really happy right now, but I don't want to jinx it. I'm like, why would like, that's such a, why do we think like this? But I so related to what you were saying. And you had this desire to go out and to dance and to like express yourself and be yourself. And yet you kept getting beckoned in and asking to be made smaller. And it wasn't because your parents didn't love you. It was because they were scared for you and they they wanted to protect you. But that does have an impact on how you view the world and how you go out into the world. And so I'm just wondering, like, in general, in your house, how is creativity looked at? And how did you approach it when you were a kid? I think in looking back, it seemed very bohemian to my parents. I
1: think as it does to a lot of people. Creatives are, you know, they use the side of the brain that's not pragmatic, so they're not going to always make the right choices. They seem very chaotic. They're the ones who do the drugs. They're the ones who start the rebellion. They're the ones who run away from home. And they're also kind of goofy. You know, they're depicted as people who don't try hard, are lazy, are for entertainment purposes which is kind of frowned upon it's sort of like you're walking into buildings through the back and that says something about you it's a, you're not being entertained you're the person entertaining it's very i think culture wise whorish like people are looking at you in fact if you're like super jewy i didn't grow up super jewy i grew up perform but you know a level or two up if you are a woman you don't sing in front of men because that's very arousing and, you know, they're not wrong. It's not like I don't get aroused on stage or get aroused when someone is on stage. I get aroused by other people's creativity and my own. But it's life is arousing. You're supposed to be waking up to this beautiful stuff. You're actually appreciating it. You don't need to reach out and molest it. Just, <laughs> you know, hang out for a bit. And that's, that's definitely looked down upon. So it's sort of known as like the trashy people. So it really just made me feel, I think, ultimately, like I was trash. And I identified with people who wanted to do something different and then were sort of looked at as circus clowns. But it didn't feel like being in a circus. It felt like being in reality more than the conservative closure that I grew up in. That didn't seem real. Because if you're going to be that conservative, you are going to come full circle and start contradicting yourself because you've already closed
0: up what you believe in. So how did you reconcile the difference between those two sectors in your brain? Because I think when we do grow up with that kind of talk around our dreams and expression, very often like those voices of our parents or our family or our teachers manifest as shame talk in us as young adults and adults. And then we have to like talk ourselves off the ledge as we go to approach these dreams. So how did you start to do that? I started by getting too loud. I
1: was very quiet. And so I thought, you know, The opposite of what is happening will be freedom. So the opposite of quiet. And I wasn't, you know, that conscious about all these decisions. Just in looking back, I noticed that I found myself being very loud. I am going to say the thing that is going to make you uncomfortable. And I am going to say the thing that you might not want to know. And too much info is not a thing to me. And people respond pretty well to that, too. It's sometimes seen as charismatic. What I was not noticing is there are people who don't respond well to that. Maybe they're having a quiet time and I don't know how to appreciate that yet. So I swung the pendulum the other way. And then I started finding what could be in the center of that. And I think that's just what life is, is just constantly finding like, what is the center of the thing that I'm thinking and going through? I don't have to go to extreme, even though it feels good. And it's like, When you think of good things that happen, they come in epiphanies. They come with like winning the lotto. They come in big goals. But I think in focusing on that, I would get manic and depressed and manic and depressed. And if I'm happy today, I'm super happy. And if I'm sad today, this is my new state of mind. And I had to get out of those extreme ways and try to find that center grounding.
0: That is such a great point. Actually, I'm also a singer songwriter and I just put out a song called Freak Show. And it's all about that. You know, it's like, I feel like so much of my life has been, oh my God, everything's so great. I'm doing amazing. I'm so proud of myself. Everything's great. I'm awful. I'm the worst person that ever lived. I can't believe that I ever thought I accomplished everything. And it's like, well, somewhere in the middle is probably what's true. But I still find myself very tempted to live in either extreme. Oh, it's fun. Oh, it's so much fun. Oh, yeah. God, divine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when, when you start noticing yourself spiraling out in either direction, how do you bring yourself center? Well, I... I haven't really until about,
1: I would say, four years ago when I started looking it up for real. Like I actually Googled how to be happy because before I would just really like, oh, this isn't me being manic. This is me getting things done and having a lot of energy. And this is maybe me being depressed. But, you know, what is there to be happy about? It made sense. It makes sense while you're in it. So I never think to correct it. But four years ago, they found a giant tumor in my chest and, you know, it was this very big deal, what was supposed to be very somber and it was sad and had to get open heart surgery. And then, you know, I found out my husband's cheating and then Trump got elected and Mm. all this stuff. it, It never happens one at a time and work became harder and all this stuff. But before that, as soon as I found out about the tumor, I was like, oh, this could be because if I spiral and get depressed off of little things that happen in our day to day, you know, nothing, nothing major, then what is going to happen when I start dealing with this? And I finally got proactive about it. And I, I found all these exercises that keep not a happy mindset. I had to stop looking for happy because otherwise I'm going to try to hold on to happy no
0: matter what. Mm. So I found like... Whoa, can we pause on that for a (laughs) minute? (laughs) Let's let that resonate. (laughs) Shit. Wow. That's so important to remember, because happy is another grabby thing. Mm -hmm. It's not sustainable. So do you you now search for peace or like just a homeostasis? I still find
1: myself corny saying this, because me growing up yoga and karma, all these woo-woo words were so made fun of like oh just another hippie but it's starting to make sense to me and the fact that they have become these sort of taboo words is unfortunate but really it is just to be present not dwelling in what did i do why did i do it that way or what's to come how do i be ready for all the different options it's what's happening now can i breathe right now do i see the next step if i don't can i take another minute to decide do i need help with this What do I need in this moment? What do I want in this moment? Can I just pause? And so I am slowing down time and I am giving myself a little bit wider perspective so that I'm not rushing myself and I'm not saying yes when I mean no and no when I mean yes and it's absolutely not perfect and then I don't beat myself for not being perfect, progress not perfection, and just constant. What is happening right now? Is anything on fire? No. Then how terrible could it be right now? So that's another perspective. I can take the next step.
0: Wow. Something that came up when you were talking was the word forgiveness. You didn't say it, but I just, it popped into my head because it sounds like in order to make it through all those things that you just mentioned, those huge life traumas that you went through, you probably had to find a profound level of forgiveness for yourself for life for others i'm curious like what your relationship is with that word and what it means to you um well, i have to mind some of the forgiveness that i give to other people because i tend to be
1: too empathetic mm. because i can figure out why you did it and where you're coming from i might overlook the rest of the stuff which is that you did it and that i don't want this i'm trying to just forgive the things that there's nothing I can do about. So I forgive myself for not knowing a week ago that that other decision would have been better for this week because I know what I know when I know it. And that's all it is.
0: Yeah. I guess like when you go through something like that, when you think about like things that have been traumatic that have caused you suffering, how have you learned to like find meaning in the suffering in order to move forward and like really become more beautiful than before.
1: That's sort of like,
0: why did this happen to me, I think. And I I was
1: lucky enough to let go of that right away because I kind of knew the answer. It happened to me because nothing else has happened to me. I got it around when I was four. Or it was in my chest for a long time, but I learned about it when I was 40. And I was like, you know what? I never had health problems. Really? Not really. I never had anyone really that close to me die. Like, you know, I'm going to list things that are majorly traumatic. I'm not saying I didn't have trauma in my life, but I was like, well, yeah, why not me? People get cancer, people die suddenly, they get heart attacks. It's just what I'm getting right now. And I feel very lucky to be in a time where they could just open me up and take it out. You know, when you say open heart surgery, people kind of clutch their pearls, but I'm like, Wow, <laughs> my heart was on the outside. I asked my doctor, I'm like, was there a flap? <laughs> can I see the video? What? You can just open things up. My heart's still beating in your hand. This is a cartoon.
0: This is amazing. Yes, you know, something that's so amazing about you that I'm struck by in like every interview I've heard with you and every show I've listened to of yours is that you are a very honest and real person, yet you see all the best parts of life. And I think that is such a hard line to walk, to be an honest, real person and to be a positive person and to like acknowledge what's in between those two things. And I just want to call that out. Like, I love that perspective that you took on the heart surgery.
1: (laughs) I, I really feel that way. I thought about it. I'm like, am I making this up to sort of sugarcoat it, to make it easier for other people and for myself? And, you know, even if I am doing that for just a little bit, I don't think so. I think it's amazing. I saw the picture of the tumor. You could see a picture of the inside of my body. They wouldn't give me the video, but
0: oh my God. Damn it. <laughs> we want that video. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. So we talked about how you love dance when you were younger. Is that still part of your life at all? Do you dance in your free time or like, how does that manifest in adults? <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, I don't know of any dance clubs. It's in me that I like to dance, so maybe I'll shuffle around the home or something. But the spaces that I used to dance in, it's for children. Uh, And I don't know that it exists anymore, where some people are in sneakers or, you know, I was in platforms and stuff like that. Now it's being dressed up and standing around with a drink in your hand. And that's just not what I'm interested in. No. I don't know. I still listen to 90s music, so. So good. I'd have to find a theme night, but I'll (laughs) get
0: there. (laughs) And then, okay, this is amazing. What really opened up your creativity portal besides dance is you became a clown Mm -hmm. when you were 18. So tell me about this experience, what that was like, how you came to clowning. I was going to Queens College, which I ended up dropping out of. And I saw this flyer on the wall. There
1: used to be flyers on the wall, you know, help wanted. A lot of people looked for students because you can pay like a decent amount and have flexible work. And it said like, do you like working with children? This is a good job for you. And I always like working with children. I always did work with children. I babysat, I tutored. And um, they were hiring for people who went to a kid's party and entertained them. I learned how to do kitty magic, balloon animals, face painting. I was Pocahontas, the Power Rangers, Barney, just everything that you could think about. I did. I did some kind of double daring party, spy parties. Uh, wow things called glamour parties where it was like a sleepover of a bunch of girls and you're just kind of there to help them do the limbo or something, you know? Uh, I, I did that for like 12 years. And that was a big deal because it was a kooky job and I felt so at home. And I thought, oh, if this is what I can be as an adult, like have a kooky job, still be able to pay for things, be able to move out of my parents' house, that means that kooky jobs exist for me. Because I thought that creative jobs were for people who somehow found the path that I don't even know where to begin and that was that was the beginning of my path I thought if I could do this I could be a singer because I didn't know I didn't even know the word at the time but that's unconventional this could be possible so I started pursuing singing and I noticed that if I pursue something that's considered weird it still can work out because I just made that decision to do it and I might not have gotten super duper rich off it and definitely not right away, but the regular nine to five seemed so stable. Mm. And so that was the fear, but I didn't live in that fear because I didn't consider that stable. I watched people say, I'm so scared. They're going to fire me. They're always scared to be fired. They're scared of losing their pension. They're scared of the boss, not liking them. And now they lose their job. So wherever you are, you can always lose your job. And I also thought I'm going to have to work this hard. Do I want to work this hard for someone else? You have to put in 40 hours, 20 hours, 30 hours, decide. You're going to have to put that in somewhere. Where do I actually want to put it in?
0: Yeah. And that is such a great point and something we talk about all the time on the show. It's like you can have a job you hate and still get fired. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you could do something that crushes your soul every day for 20 years and still lose everything. I think when we're deciding whether or not to choose our dreams, like we have to say like, okay, I can go down this path and maybe it will fail or maybe it will succeed and it will be the best thing ever. But at least I chose myself. Yeah. Versus if you don't do the other thing, you already failed because you chose to say small and shrink and prioritize other people's comfort or like some sense of like fake security over your own.
1: Yeah. It's the same trophy. You want to wait 20 years for the trophy, then wait 20 years for your dream trophy.
0: Yeah. I want the dream trophy, baby. <laughs> So, okay, with singing, was that something you ever did before because I know you're saying like it could be looked at like very arousing in your culture. How did this spring up? How did you discover that you were a songwriter? Oh, that's the weird thing. It's my
1: parents had me sing all the time, but somehow if it was, you know, at the end of the dinner with my family, it was respectable and I'm not entertaining, I'm sharing in whatever tradition or something like that. And that that was with family. But you don't go out and do that. That's private. I mean, they didn't really say those words. But when I I remember being on a a tour bus and I was in my 20s and I was getting paid to front a band and it was incredible. And I called my mom with cell phone minutes that we were still counting. You know, like now you're costing me a dollar a minute. So what do you have to say? the words that came out of her mouth was when is this going to be done when are you going to get married and have kids and i'm like oh no this is not the conversation i'm looking for thank you
0: so how how did you deal with that like i know you always went your own way but did you still have that like feeling on your shoulder of oh i don't have my parents approval and i feel bad or guilty about that or were you yes. able to just like throw that away how did you deal with that
1: no i don't think you can ever just throw it away then you know, you're blocking some stuff. I was hoping you'd say yes. No.
0: You <laughs> I was really hoping you would, You could give me some tips because <laughs> I'm struggling right now. Yeah.
1: You know, I was less funny because, oh, I can't say that if my parents hear it and they somehow could always hear everything that I'm doing, even though right now they can press play on over 3000 episodes. They're not doing it. But always you just kind of feel your parents presence. And I think that's how guilt works. And it was a, a step down. I was trying things. I was trying to be the good person in front of them. I was I was trying to only share things that maybe they would be proud of. You know, I wore the right clothes when I went to see them and it just wasn't enough. And I finally saw that I, I really, truly, truly, truly tried every single thing to be in whatever relationship I can with my parents and I can't. So we, we haven't spoken in a long time. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's not, great it's not something that i would choose it's something that sounds horrible you don't speak to your mother you don't speak to your father or they don't speak to you however it worked out but the reality is when we do speak nothing good comes from it i'm forced to be in a space where i have to pretend a world exists and pretend that i live in that world constantly or i get criticized and i still get criticized so it's just it's the kind of work that i'm not interested in doing this doesn't Give me anything I can't call you or uh, you come and visit make
0: me cookies and tell me I'm fat I can't no not an option no. I mean I just have to commend your bravery because especially I mean I'm speaking from my own experience but like coming from cultures like ours that are like so deeply tied to the familial unit and to choose yourself and to choose your own serenity and your own humanity that takes a lot and most people go to the grave not having done that because of fear and you're just a very courageous person to have done that Yeah, i get why
1: i get why you would forever talk to your parents no matter how they spoke to you because it's weird to not have parents while they're still alive because you still kind of need the adult in the room even when you are a fully fully grown adult but You know, when I picture that adult who can help me, it's not my mom. She doesn't want to help in that way. She wants to help in ways that maybe she needed from her mom and didn't get. But I keep saying it's just not the way we're going to connect. So we're not connecting. So how do you work on parenting yourself? Same as before, constantly asking myself, what do I want to need? Am I in the place that is good for me? Do I need to make a decision right now or can I pass? How do I ask for help for this? My brothers are pretty good. I have a boyfriend who's very helpful. You know, there are people in your life that the cliche is like you create your own family, but you do. My parents did. It's not like they were family. They created a family. So that's how strangers make families. It's the same thing with your friends and maybe your coworkers and maybe whatever you believe in, whatever you have. It's amazing to have that.
0: Yeah. Use what you have. So to get back to your path a little bit, I know you were singing, but but I do want to know, how did you start writing music? Like, how did songs start coming to you? I was always writing as a kid. I think I wrote my first song when I was 12
1: with my friend on a bus or something or on the train. I wrote letters to my parents when I was younger, when I couldn't express myself. I was very shy and quiet. But when I I saw an injustice, I would write them a letter and say, you know, I thought it was unfair that this, that, and the next app, And I started writing in code, which is considered poetry, because it was very embarrassing to have feelings in my house and I think out in the world. But if it's in poetry form, if it rhymes, then it's a little bit more forgivable. So I would write in more of abstract, and that's sort of how songs go. You know, you were the one. Who's you? You know what I mean? It's, uh, so you can compile a lot of your emotions together and put them out in this abstract, all-encompassing, You don't know what this is about but it draws on your emotions i was just always writing to express myself i wrote in journals i don't know if they were journals or diaries it wasn't a steady thing it was the way that i let out the emotion safely
0: and then was melody always accompanied with that how did they come together with the physical writings Oh,
1: I guess that just happens. I think um, I'm always singing ditties and hopefully people don't mind when I'm around them, (laughs) just making up stuff, you know, adding to songs or singing songs with Whitney Houston, you know, along, like just trying
0: to hit all her notes. (laughs) That's how I learned. I love it. And then at what point does Keith and the Girl, your podcast, which you put out in 2005, absolute pioneer in this industry. Like at what point does that come into the trajectory? Were you still fully pursuing your music career at this point? And then this was just kind of like an add on? Yeah, I was pursuing singing and
1: I used to go to this open mic on the Lower East Side and you got to do anything you want for eight minutes as long as you don't light the place on fire. So I sang and I used to like make up songs on the spot there or bring the stuff that I wrote and there were poets and there were comedians. And avant-garde people. Somebody drew with their period blood. Somebody drank their own piss. And then I know Jim Gaffigan has been there. Mark Maron. Um, a lot of the people that you see on TV would just is just one of the hangouts. And we would go there every Sunday night. And that allowed me to meet other performers. That's where I met Keith. He was pursuing stand-up. So we started hanging out. We actually used to date when the podcast first started. We were dating. We broke up. A couple of years into it. And because he was a comedian, we learned about podcasting and he was going to do it by himself. But he wanted like someone to interrupt his thoughts and to be a co-host. And the reason why it's called Keith and the Girl is because that's not what I was pursuing I wanted to have a little bit more anonymity. He was very open through comedy about his life way more than I was, even like at the time he talked about taboo subjects, dating life. I know that everyone's very open about it now, but he was, I think, the pioneer of that, like telling embarrassing stories of dating and not knowing things like the things you're quote unquote supposed to know. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't ready to do that. He talked about his parents, his upbringing, and I wasn't ready for that. I didn't know if I could throw my life out there. But man, like a week or two into podcasting, I was in. I was like, yeah, I think it it feels good to talk about this, to laugh about it, to point and giggle.
0: And then it takes the sting out of it and it doesn't matter anymore. So I have a few questions from this. I think one is that what I've noticed in my own creative career is whenever I've been working in tandem with another person, it goes exponentially faster. Mm-hmm. and even uh, when I first started writing music I was writing in a duo and we would perform all around LA and like within a year of writing our first song we played House of Blues and Viper Room but I think it's honestly because we had that mastermind alliance what has been the power of the mastermind alliance for you and Keith that is it you hit it absolutely I mean part
1: of my ease about it is that it's called Keith and the girl not Keith and Gemda. I don't want to use the first person like that so when I'm describing the show, I'm describing this entity as opposed to myself. Also, if I say we're doing something on Wednesday, there's accountability and I can't say, well, Thursday is the same as Wednesday or I'll meet you at 6 p.m. instead of a.m. or whatever. You you give me a deadline and I don't want to disappoint you. So yeah, I, I think that's like such a big deal for creatives is to get some kind of accountability. You know, how do you produce a show, you pick a date in the future and you book a spot and you light a
0: fire under your ass. Yeah. And when you have another person who's there, who's like going to be stoking the flames, yeah, (laughs) you gotta do it. And then speaking of the partnership, like I, I watched a promo video that you two made a while back and you talked about how you broke up and did a podcast an hour later? Yeah. What? Tell me what that trajectory looked like <laughs> and what was that episode like? You both said it was very funny.
1: It was. It was, you know, we both agree that we should have broken up a long time before we did. And the, the problem was, you know, we weren't getting along at all, really, except for one hour every day on the show where we'd make each other laugh and get along so well. And then that would sort of like be confusing, like, oh, maybe I still like this dude or maybe I still like this chick. And it just wasn't the case. So when we broke up, I'm sure that he also like there was a sense of relief, you know, and also like, oh, my God, what now? But the podcast is where we were fine. The relationship is not where we were fine. And we liked the podcast so much. We call it our baby. And like when parents get divorced, like, are you going to fight or are you going to look at that baby and say, I want to keep that baby. So I'm not going to fight with this person today and find a way to get along i'm not saying that we always liked being in each other's presence but when it came to the show like when when somebody's kid is around they buck up so when the light comes on we're entertaining you we're telling you what's happening as funny as we can
0: yeah you're creative co-parents
1: yeah i love it it's a thing it really is a thing you want to keep it you behave
0: yeah yeah. And I I love that you honored this like creative child that you birthed together and have raised. I mean, it's 15 years old. It's a little teenager, rebel rousing on the streets. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you talked about how when you first started the show, it was hard for you to be vulnerable because that's not something that you had really ever experienced before. I mean, and being vulnerable on air is like a whole new level. Cause like, really there's nowhere to hide. You couldn't even be like, Oh, I was inspired by something else. When I wrote that lyric, it's like, "Right, this is your story. You got to own it. How did you start getting the courage to pull back the layers of your chest and really let it all out? You ask people a lot about fear, right? And I, yes. I
1: thought about that and I don't think you can get rid of fear. I think fear is an emotion that you need. And you check yourself in that minute. Is there something to be scared of? Can I try it anyway? And it's not that people who do things aren't scared. It's that they do things through their fear. So I no longer wait for the fear to go away. I just do it through it. This, this joke might not land. This story might be boring. And then that's what's going to happen. And I know enough. I have to trust like 15 years of podcasting to know if
0: my story's not going anywhere. I could go, well, that went nowhere. And then that's it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's like when you admit it, it doesn't own you, right? And it's over. And then the audience is in on it. So they don't feel awkward. You're all like back together again. So yeah. I love that. I don't think you can take fear away. I actually spoke with someone like a week ago who said they have a friend who is never afraid. And I'm like, like, how can I get a trip inside her brain? Because sounds nice. Uh, but also like you should be afraid sometimes. I know you're going to walk in front of a bus. Yeah. What the
1: hell. <laughs> you should walk away from some things because they make you afraid. Somebody might be putting fear in you. Leave. Yeah. Yeah. Like just standing there going, I'm
0: not afraid is not going to not get you punched. It's useful data. It's useful data. But like, how do you work on taking it out of the driver's seat? How do you make sure it's not making decisions for you? I check my embarrassment level. There's usually not a
1: reason to be embarrassed. I try to say, well, what's not embarrassing about that? Who am I embarrassed for? Is there something to be embarrassed about? Most likely there's not and also i take a minute i do this program called one minute at a time and i really do a one minute exercise that shifts that straightforward action i'm just going 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 if i pause and really again the corniness of one minute of gratitude means you have that muscle i've worked on focusing on just giving one minute of gratitude because then later in the day when i say well everything's wrong You have to remember, earlier in the day you had a gratitude list, so everything's not wrong, which means there's another thing here that I'm not seeing right now. So let me give myself a minute and see if it's still important that I go this way or if I
0: turn right. Yeah, and, like, nothing's ever all true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's something I think it's so important to realize in life. Like, it's never all the way true. Life is so many different things at once, And that's all okay. And that's beautiful. And that's, that's the truth. Yeah. So we've talked about how you were a pioneer in this industry a lot. Now everyone and their brother has a podcast. Yeah. Like, do you ever get annoyed by that?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, you write music, everybody has a song, right? Yeah. Everyone's trying. Uh, it was new when we started, but the fact that it doesn't remain new means that people know what I'm talking about when I say the word podcast. I mean, it used to be amazing that we work on a computer, like we couldn't even say podcasting. It was just too over the top in technology. So it's kind of nice that people know what a podcast is and to find it. And you're not in this like weird realm of nobody knows what you're doing. You just have an online thing. So that's nice. So you don't get annoyed? No, I think there's room for everybody. We still have an audience. It's still my sense of humor. What what they're getting out of my show is not what they're getting out of your show, although there's a crossover. So people who listen to my show might want to listen to your show, and they might want to listen to one other show. But that doesn't mean that there's not enough for everybody.
0: Yeah. No, I totally agree. I, I ask you this because... um. Well, I would actually understand if you got annoyed because you were literally like on the ground, like putting the flag into the podcasting world, being like, we've arrived. But I think with the idea of like crowded space, my example is candles were invented in 400 or 300 BC by the Egyptians and a new candle company crops up every day, like thousands of years later, and they can become billion dollar companies. So if candles can become billion dollar companies in 2020, why can't your new venture in the podcasting world also sore.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is every time something good happens for some other podcaster, everybody else is like, oh, that's a possibility for us. You know? Right. Um There's a lot of TV shows. TV shows are still getting created. You, you can't get annoyed. There's no time to get annoyed at that.
0: Yeah. And you don't strike me as a person who holds any sense of bitterness or Is that a thing for you? Do you struggle with bitterness or resentment at all? No, if anything, I pointed inward and I'm trying not to do that. Like, it's my
1: fault, you know? I'm the one who should have done this instead of that or uh, I should have turned right instead of left. But I'm trying not to do that. I just went the way I went, you know? Wherever podcasting is, wherever I am, I got here somehow. I really like the journey that I went on. When I did get that diagnosis four years ago, I actually thought I might die. And that came with like, oh my God, do I like the way I lived? And I was like, yeah, oh my God, I'm ready. So I actually said out loud, I'm like, guys, if I die, just know I did it. I'm good. I'm good with this. Like the things that I decided to do, that was pretty cool. (laughs) You have the best outlook. Sometimes I do get depressed, but not as much anymore. Really. It's just, the negativity has turned into good things. Like I said, I'm not waiting to be happy. I'm I'm understanding the negative space has its place so that I don't keep spiraling down. I can look at it and say, oh, today's a negative day or this moment is negative or odd. Ah, that's not what I wanted to happen. But here's where we are right now. The more I stay in reality, the better it is. Because otherwise I'm making up a reality and then I have to live off of both places. The reality that I'm making up and the reality that's really happening. That's a lot of work.
0: Yeah, too many realities. And apparently (laughs) there are like other dimensions too. So just imagine (laughs) this there, they're all (laughs) straddling these realities. We got to stay present. You know, you spoke briefly about your breakup with your ex-husband. And I I recently went through, I was in a seven-year relationship and we broke up. And so that really affected my creativity and my journey and like just my view on my life. And again, like you said, asking, what do I really want? you know, And am I living in alignment with who I am and what I want? And so I'm curious how that breakup affected you as a creative and just as a human and like how you kind of realigned after that. It affected me a lot. I, I was heartbroken. I really thought that everything,
1: I didn't think everything was cool, but I thought we were cool. And it's just the ups and downs of relationships. And I was tolerating way too much. And I didn't know that. Mm. I realized I wasn't in the relationship that I thought I was in. And that's what was heartbreaking for me. Because people can go where they go. But I was like, oh, I thought this whole other thing was happening. And I knew like this was pretty big because I got married and now I'm getting divorced. That's huge. So again, I was like, I got to hold on for a second because I'm going to, it's about to like, you know, you're getting to the top of the roller coaster. I'm about to drop. And I took a year off of dating and I started reading books about, again, how does our brain work? What do I need? I went on a 10-day uh, silent meditation thing. I visited Hare Krishna, chanting, ceremony, just all those kinds of things, giving it a go and seeing what they're seeing, not taking on a religion or anything like that, just trying to find something where I'm not just going to jump into another relationship or lose myself in the manic energy that is about to potentially come. Try to maybe stay even keel, not blow up my life for funsies because I need to feel something. So I just really took it one minute at a time, paced myself. I would call Keith sometimes and say, Hey, I need to come in late for work really just because I needed to breathe. Didn't take on any extra projects. Just kind of try to mind, myself give myself accountability of meeting with friends of going to meetings you know with other women or with other with other something so that I'm not locked in this space with only my head you know because you can start rolling around whatever is happening in there and let it fly try to remain as patient as possible with myself, as opposed to constantly with other people, I was patient with everybody else, and you just kind of like keep leveling up on your patience, and you lose patience for yourself. So I was trying to be kind and
0: gentle to myself, and just walk myself through it. Mm. Wow, I really commend you for sticking to the year too, because I think a lot of us will come out of eleven months. Sorry. Oh come on, <laughs> eleven months <laughs> is still a year. I got to eleven let's, months. Let's give it to you, okay? Uh, a lot of us will be like, make these huge decrees. Like I'm not dating for a year. And then like a month later, tick tock. Oh yeah. You're in bed with someone else. So I really admire that. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Well, that's what helps. You
1: know, I declared it on the show. So now I got to, you know, check in with a lot of people. I used to say it in my head or like out loud to my friends. Like I am totally done with dating forever. <laughs> and then it's like, no, that's. You're addicted to something here. Why don't you
0: find out what it is? So how do you think that breakup and then the subsequent incredible self-discovery journey you went on changed you as a broadcaster, as a singer, as a creative? It helped me. Being a creative helps
1: me walk through it. It just continues to be a better symbiotic experience because bigger things were happening, The smaller things that used to be bigger things had to be let go of, so maybe I could manage things a little bit better, actually, and not worry about it so much. Because I wasn't taking on projects, me and Keith didn't have to, you know, argue about do we do this project or that project, or we're taking on too much, because I'm usually like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And He's like, we're already
0: doing things. So... You know, maybe he likes me better. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you probably had to, at least in that instance, kind of like switch roles. Like you were the one that was always instigating and pushing forward in that way. And then he had to step up to the plate. I mean, that just goes to show what great collaborators you are. Well, what's great about Keith is he's still going to be himself all day. So
1: I don't know. Yeah. I think he stepped up into whatever role like he usually does. He just plays his role. Right. And that's actually admirable. And he's just going to keep doing what he can that used to be infuriating. Like, why don't you want to do it this way? And it's like, when did he
0: ever tell me he wanted to do something that way? Oh, you're, you're touching on something interesting right now. So, cause this is a question I wanted to ask. Cause you said something that led me to believe, I don't know about you, but I've had a tendency both in love and in partnerships and life to like see somebody's highest self, like their higher self and fall in love with that. And be like, but why aren't you this? This is who you really are. I see who you really are. Why aren't you this? I can help you be this because that's who you really are. And then you're like constantly disappointed because that's just not where they're at. Mm -hmm. So is that something that resonates with you? Oh, yeah. Why would you say no to this? We're trying to work on this. It's like, who, who asked you? Yeah. So it sounds like you're much better at that now than you once were. How have you come to learn to accept where someone's at? versus how they could be? The biggest thing for me is before I talk
1: to anybody about some new project or some whatever, like, did anyone ask me? Did, uh, you know, someone saying like, oh, I'm starting a new podcast. I would jump in and be like, well, here's what you're going to need. And, you know, make sure that you do this. And nobody asked, nobody asked you, don't start. They might just be saying something and you are exhausting right now. What you think is helpful has not been asked for. And you're going to be disappointed because they were casually saying something that you're passionate about. So check the level. If nobody asked me, I try not to give advice. That's
0: good advice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Even your therapist, like, you know, you kind of want an answer, but you almost don't want advice. You want somebody to understand you. So instead of giving advice, I just ask the next question. Oh, what do you want your podcast to be about? hello, their question, their podcast, not here's what your podcast should be about and here's what you can do on the first year, second year, third year. You know, if you ask me, I'll tell you. If you're serious and sincere and you want to spend the time, I will. But if you're not asking me, oh my God, didn't
0: realize what a pain in the butt I was. Well, you know, and I think it comes from a place, at least for me, of like not feeling good enough about myself. Like I always have to be providing to somebody else to prove that I'm worthy. Whereas you're worthy just for being who you are, and I love that for you, curiosity and compassion was the way out of it. yeah, I have a question mark tattooed on my forearm because everything can get better if
1: you get curious instead of angry. not always like I think anger again has its purpose. I try not to, but it comes up, but if I can ask the question instead of reacting first, then maybe I can get a better understanding and kind of figure out that I was wrong with what I thought was being said, that question might clear it up and I might not get angry anymore.
0: What do you think the best thing the show has taught you? To be less embarrassed, less embarrassed
1: about things. There's not really that much to be embarrassed by in life in general. And I used to be so much more private because You're not supposed to say this, and this is how this will make other people feel. And the truth is, is people are going to feel the way they feel. And if you trigger it, they still are going to feel that way. They might be looking for that trigger. You need to mind your terrible triggers, like saying things that are not true, that are ignorant, you know, just to tell the joke. So if you're not embarrassed, you can actually say the things that are really happening. And that's the funniest, probably.
0: Yeah, what's most honest is usually what's most funny. It's hard, but it's true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And also some things are private. I don't share absolutely everything. That distinction happens on the fly, but some things are for me.
0: Yeah, and I love that because it kind of goes back to what you said when you were first stepping out and like learning to be yourself as a kid. You had to swing the pendulum too far in order to come back to the right middle ground. And I'm sure it's true with on air as well.
1: Yeah, that could be embarrassing.
0: Yeah. it's And it lives forever. Yeah. Damn. We've said stupid stuff. What are you going to do? That was stupid. Got to move on. Yeah, As long as you always admit to everything and don't try to cover it up, you're golden. Honesty seems to be the theme of this podcast. I'm loving it. <laughs>
1: interesting. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, On that same show, you, the one I listened to, it was the AV club. You talked about being yourself and like how that's the most important thing in life, but nobody teaches you how to do that. That was just super fascinating to me. And it's true. I feel like you've shared so much about how you've come to discover yourself, but I'm wondering what's a time in recent history that you felt most like yourself and what did that feel like? Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Maybe this is weird. I try
1: always to feel like myself. This is myself when I'm being interviewed by you. Later, I'm going to talk to Xerxes, my boyfriend. That's going to be myself when I'm talking to him. It's all the same person. You're going to keep experiencing this. That's me. But maybe, like, you know, I'll be a little more mushy with him or uh, whatever little things that I have in my relationship with that person. I'm still going to try to come with myself. I'm going to try to answer as best I can and just respond from as much me as I know about myself. Maybe that'll change and I'll have to get to know that. But at the core, I think I'm responding from myself.
0: I keep checking on it. And that's all you can do. Yeah. I love that. It's like wherever you go, there you are. And I think when we are in our own skin, when we when we've done the work like you have, that's the goal. It's to have that like even ground and to feel always yourself. So that to me means you're living well. I think so. Yeah. It shouldn't take those big moments. Like, you know, recently I got to perform. I did like an outdoor show for the first time since mm. all this happened. And I was like, that's the most i felt like myself in a year. But then I was thinking, on it, I'm like, why? Couldn't you feel just as much yourself like when you're singing in the shower or like singing in your room like why does it take being out in public because you're like the one vessel you can't escape you can't always predict the environment clearly this year has shown us that so i think what you're saying is really beautiful
1: but also like if you were out for the first time doing this thing in a long time there's so much stimulus there that you might have been feeling three of yourselves
0: at that point and maybe that feels higher you know what i mean true Yes, it was three Lawrence. That was the reason. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right, though. I do. I miss people so much.
1: Yeah. Isn't it interesting, like how much we as a people try to live on our own? We don't need anyone. And everyone's crying about not getting hugs now. You're going to get on a plane and go back home for Christmas so that you can see your family. But you won't admit that you have feelings. This is all feelings. If we didn't have feelings,
0: we wouldn't mind staying at home by ourselves. We do mind. And I think too, like when you're an energetic based person, you miss having the literal energy of other people informing, you know, like not taking it on so much that you like get dragged around, but like, I miss feeling people's energy. This is great, but I would love to be in the same room as you. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so feeling like that's the first time you were yourself. That was the first time you were yourself in front of people. The first time you were yourself in a microphone in a long time. I think that energy is huge. So maybe you still were being yourself this whole time.
0: Okay. I like that. Thank you. Himba, you are just a remarkable human being. I feel so blessed to kind of spend this hour with you. This was so fun. Um, You know my final question because you listened to the show earlier. Yes. (laughs) And so I'm wondering if you and little you, whatever age you think of her, were standing in the same room and she was looking at you. The amazing woman you are, like truly amazing, multifaceted, spiritual, kind, generous, positive, realistic human being that you are. What do you think she would say to you and why? First of all, I I think I still am a kid.
1: I thought adulthood would be this thing that was handed to you in your body or something. No, I just have different responsibilities. It used to be you had the responsibility of knowing how to go to the bathroom. Now you got to clean it. So I'm still there. (laughs) But I I did think about that because usually people ask it in reverse. So, okay, I thought, keep asking yourself, questions because i need this explained
0: i love it and then what would you say to her and why to rebel faster
1: because it doesn't
0: matter Ooh, okay i think maybe that's your next album rebel faster <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show i adore you so grateful for you and all you do and just really feel blessed to spend this time with you thank you so much lauren this was amazing Thank you so much for listening, and thanks to my guest, Himda. For more info on Himda, follow her at Himda, K-A-T-G, as in Keith and the Girl, on Instagram, and check out her podcast, Keith and the Girl, wherever good podcasts are found. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow the show on Spotify, share the show with a friend, and post about it on social media. Tag me, at Lauren LaGrasso, and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost it to share my gratitude. Also, special announcement, actually breaking news. My music video for Freak Show is coming out on Friday, February 12th. Yay! It's a huge deal. I'm so proud of it. Um, actually, I believe next week I'm going to be having on my music video director, my friend Paria Sadeghi. So definitely check that out. And yeah, stay tuned to my social channels for more information on where you can find it, when you can see it, and all that good stuff. My wish for you this week is that you approach your craft and your life with honesty and vulnerability. If you have the courage to do this, it will become your superpower. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.